0: Never a time, never a time he hadn't been faithful. Never a time, never a morning his faithfulness is not new. I find myself too often feeling ashamed that I don't trust the Lord more than I do or doubt his provision or worry about how he's going to handle problems. God, is, God can be trusted We praise Him for that today. We're going to be in the book of Revelation chapter 19, and we have been going uh, through not verse by verse through the book of Revelation, but through topics, and have been dealing with subjects related to uh, the study of end times eschatology for several months, and so we come to Revelation chapter 19 today. We're glad you're here to get into the Word of God with us. And let's stand together, if we could, for the reading of God's Word in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 1. The Bible says, And after these things, John is writing, John the Beloved, John who is exiled on the island of Patmos for his faith in Jesus Christ. And the Lord says... us through his word that he was in the spirit. John was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And God began to reveal to him things that would come in the future. And he's been revealing a lot of these things. And when he says after these things he has seen and recorded many things in this book of the Revelation. We've covered just two major events in the last week or so. The judgment of the deceived and corrupt world false religion and how God judged them, and then we... Wednesday night looked at the collapse of the end times world economic system. All these things are forecast, predicted in the Bible. Now we're really coming to the end of the tribulation period. There's going to be some major events happen, but really as far as the tribulation period, we're coming to the end of this, and Christ is going to return. And we'll see that later in the book of Revelation chapter 19. But... After these things, after the things he said in chapter 19 and verse 1, John says, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments For he hath judged the great whore, that false religious system, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand, that religious system that persecuted saints. Verse 3, And again they said, John's recording what he's hearing and seeing, And again they said, Alleluia, and her smoke, rose up forever and ever. And the four and 20 elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready, and to her, to the bride was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he saith unto me, John says, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Our Father, as we pray today, we ask you to help us to glean from your word today what you would have for us. We know this this book is a miraculous book, it's your word We spend our lives studying it, reading it, and hearing it, and and Lord, we still are amazed at how you speak to us and encourage us through your word. We pray that would be the case today for your honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that we mentioned uh, this past Wednesday, I think, and maybe even Sunday night, and we've mentioned it throughout this study, is we see this great contrast. Most of what Revelation is revealing is about what's taking place and will take place in the earth, on this earth in the future. But we also get this view of what's taking place in heaven and I find it very fascinating to just contrast those two perspectives. What's going on in heaven while the tribulation is going on in the earth. We've devoted I think 13 messages to this study so far And we began with seeing where Jesus, the only one worthy to open the seals, open these seals, the lamb and the scrolls that unleashed this righteous judgment of God. Much of what we have covered in recent weeks focuses on what awaits the unsaved on earth. This is looking to the future, but it's going to happen just like the Bible records it. We've studied about the Antichrist, about the beast, about the false prophet, about the mark of the beast. We've looked at these plagues and judgments poured out. Hundred pound hailstones raining from heaven upon the Christ rejectors in the world. As I said, we've looked at the judgment of this growing worldwide religious system that's against truth. We've We've studied these things, but at the same time, there have been glimpses of what happens in heaven. For instance, the judgment seat of Christ where believers will be rewarded. That takes place while these things are happening on the earth. Also on the earth, the gospel will be preached in numerous ways, in many ways. Angels proclaiming the gospels. Uh, Two witnesses proclaiming the gospel. And, and people will be saved during that tribulation period. I believe there are people who've never heard and had the opportunity to be saved, but people will be saved during the... Op- that, and then we've read about the great persecution. They're going to face beheadings and martyrdom. We've studied all of these things. We've, we've read as, as God has been judging on the earth, there are saints in heaven, martyrs, then saying, how long are you going to wait to pour out your judgment upon this earth? But the thing that stands out most, and that brings us to chapter 19, in heaven is the worship that is taking place. And that's really a big part of what this text is about. And we get this this picture, these snapshots of what heaven is like throughout the Bible, but we especially get it in the book of Revelation. Let's go backwards just a little bit in Revelation chapter five, for instance, and a few verses. And again, this is what's taking place in heaven as judgment is coming down on the earth. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 8 it says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors which are the prayer, prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, talking about Christ, and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation has made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000, times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing so much about what's happening in heaven is about the worship of God the worship of the lamb look in chapter 7 of revelation if you would And it says in verse 9, And this I beheld, John is writing, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, too many of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sitteth upon the throne and under the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshiped God saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. We see this over and over and we see it particularly in the book of Revelation how that God is being glorified. God is being Praise, God is being worshipped. Back to Revelation 19. John begins this chapter by saying, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven. Wouldn't it be wonderful to hear what John heard? Millions and millions, multiplied millions upon millions of voices. Praising the Lord. Worshipping God. You know, we had our our preaching conference here um, a couple of months ago, not two months ago quite, or just about two months ago. And one of the highlights of the preaching conference is not just the food and the fellowship and the preaching, but it's the singing. (laughs) It's just a wonderful thing. People who come, you know, you take our church family here and you add to that a couple of hundred, more than a couple of hundred additional guests, most of them preachers and their families singing and it's really heavenly in a true sense of the word. It's, it's the best singing many of us will ever hear this side of heaven. But you take that and magnify it, not hundreds of people, not thousands of people, but millions upon millions of voices singing praise to God. And it's not just the number of people that are singing, I think, that makes it so amazing, but it's the passion in singing. I don't know if any of us will sing the same way in heaven that we sing down here. I don't think anything could compare to what John was able to hear. And we will hear one day millions, not only human voices, but angelic voices with exuberant praise. You know, sometimes I was thinking about this as I was thinking about this message. Sometimes in church we tend to think too much about ourselves when we're singing, you know. You know, my voice is not good enough. I don't want to sing too loud. Someone might hear me. And having heard some of you, I understand you feeling that way. Or my voice is so beautiful when I sing. I hope everybody can hear my perfect pitch. But in this scenario, every voice will be praising God. I don't think anybody will be in that scene wondering for fear that their friends might see them sing out and wonder what's going on. Somebody might be surprised. They've watched somebody in church grow up in church and live in church and never seem to like to praise God, and they're gonna be surprised when they see them beside themselves in worship and praise to God. You know, I've, I've watched people sing in church for many years. I've seen some who sorely sing at all. Their lips never move. I've seen some whose lips are open about an eighth of an inch. It's singing with excitement. Oh, how I love you. And then I've seen people praise God like they know Him and they love Him. And nobody, nothing else matters but worshiping Him. And you may be sitting here today, and that's the way you are now. You may be sitting here today and just say, I just don't get into it. Well, I'm telling you, if you're going to be in this crowd, you're going to get into it. What were these people saying? It says four times in our text, they were saying, Alleluia, verse 1. We see it. Verse 3, we see it. Verse 4, we see it. Verse 6, we see that word. Only time it's used in the New Testament. And the word means praise you the Lord. It's like saying over and over, praise you the Lord. God deserves to be praised. We're worshiping God. Verse 1, John says salvation. He heard them say salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. They're praising God. Verse 5. It says, uh, a voice came out of the throne saying, praise our God. This voice saying, praise God. Verse 7, it says, let the, us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. That's what they're doing. Verse 10, it says, "In the writing them about two-thirds of the way down verse 10, two simple words, powerful words. Worship God. These people are praising God. By the way, it's an interesting Thing, if you think about it, who these people were. Notice the last part of verse 19 where he says, Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord. The next word is significant our God. He's not somebody else's God, He's not their God. This is a personal relationship. This is our God. We're here to worship our God. The only reason we're going to be in heaven is because of our God. The only reason we're not going to go to hell is because of our God. And we're going to worship Him. And we're not just going to worship Him once, and we're not just going to worship Him on Sunday morning at 11. We're going to worship Him forever. It's going to be a wonderful thing. And I really believe there are people who might hear that and think, surely there's got to be more to it than just worshiping Him. There's nothing more important than worshiping God. Not just in heaven, but in this life on earth as well. And I've, I've asked this question before, and it's worth asking again. You know, if, if you don't enjoy worship, think about it today. We've sung together. We've heard the choir sing. We've heard special music. If you don't enjoy worship today, will you enjoy worship in heaven? What makes you think you will enjoy worship then in heaven? And, and if you, don't, if you don't know God personally and you don't want to glorify Him with your lips and with your life, then I just wonder how a person can explain that based on what we're going to do forever. So you might say, well, why should we worship Him? And I'm just, there are many reasons, and there's a few in this text I want to point out uh, today for, uh, together. And the first ones is found in verse... Verse 2 and verse, verse 2. Let's just look at this. He says in verse 1, he heard this voice saying, Alleluia, sa- salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God for, because of. This is why they're singing. For true and righteous are his, for, are his judgments. One of the things that we're, we're, they were praising God for was the fact that he, his judgments were true and Righteous. God is just. Now keep in mind what's just happened. If this is happening chronologically, God has just judged this worldwide religious antichrist system. And he has judged and destroyed, dismantled this worldwide economic system And he's poured out his wrath upon Christ's rejectors, And there could be some, I guarantee you there would be some today in this life among those that we know who would question God. Why would God do this? Why would God judge those people? Why would God pour out his wrath? But in heaven, he said, we're going to praise him because his judgments are true and righteous. goes on to say there in verse 2 that he judged the great whore this false religious system. And in it, last part of verse two, very important, he hath avenged the blood of his servants. God's servants, those who preached his word, those who testified for him, have been martyred by the millions over the course of history. And you know what he's gonna do? He's gonna avenge their blood by his righteous and true judgment. You know, look in chapter 19 there in verse 15, and we're not going to deal with this part of the chapter today, but notice what it says about the coming of Jesus Christ. 1915. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he shall tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. You say, is, why would God do that? Because He's just. Because He is a just and truthful God. This, you and I have such a limited understanding of why God does the things that He does. But God is always right. And God is always just. And for us sometimes it may be unclear. Why did God allow this to happen? You know? Why why would God not have stepped into this situation? But you know what? In heaven, we're gonna understand perfectly. And you know what we're gonna know is God is just. Righteous are his judgments, and God will rightly reward the righteous. You and I both know people, maybe living today, people that we have known who've lived godly lives, served the Lord with all their lives. And have suffered. We heard about that in Sunday school this morning. Experienced suffering. And we wonder why, but I'm telling you, God's going to justly reward the righteous. And He's going to also justly reward the wicked. And as I said earlier, and I hope that you're thinking about this today, some think that seems heartless for God to judge the wicked. But what we need to understand and keep in mind is all of these people have had multiple opportunities to repent and to recognize God and to fear God and to love God and to serve God. And you know what? They don't want God. They have opportunities. They say, no, we don't want that. And people are like that today sometimes. They have the opportunity. They're not interested in that. Look in um, Revelation chapter 16 just to get an example of this. Revelation chapter 16 in verse, this is a time of this great tribulation. Let's begin reading in verse 5. And I heard, John says, I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. And thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give Him glory. These people have stubbornly refused God's mercy. They have stubbornly refused God's truth. And in blasphemy, they have criticized God. And that's like multitudes before them, not just the ones on the earth at this time, that have chosen to reject the salvation of God. God sent His Son His only Son to this earth. Holy Lamb of God. God sent His Son to go to the cross as an offering not for His sins for He had never sinned but as a sacrifice for your sins and my sins and the sins of the whole world. And when people know that and they reject that and they're not interested in that and that is not important to them then God is just in condemning and judging those people. They've chosen their own destiny. And that's what, ha- that, uh, what awaits the, the rejectors of the gospel. Eternal judgment. In verse 4 there in our text in Revelation 19, it says, And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia. In heaven, they're praising Him for tr- His true and righteous judgments. And by the way, we're going to be in that crowd. And we're going to be praising Him for His true and righteous judgments. And I had this thought yesterday, we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to praise Him for His true and righteous judgments. We can praise Him today that God is right and God is good and He's worthy to be praised. So they praise Him for His true and righteous Judgments. Then look if you would please in verse 5. And let's read verse 5 and 6. Again it says, And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him, both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, these voices so loud, so, so overwhelming, saying, "Hallelujah!" for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The second thing we see is they're praising him, not just for his true and righteous judgments, but they're praising him because he reigns supreme. He is the omnipotent reigning creator. This voice from heaven says, Praise our God. Worship our God. And you know what? Everyone just did it everyone obeyed him. And if I were to say today, oh, we're going to have a little exercise and every one of us with from the with from the bottom of my heart with 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 all of our voices and hearts, we're going to praise God. Well, some people would readily do that and some people would probably walk out cuz they don't want to be have to praise God. But here they all praise God. Nobody did. They just wanted to worship God. Nothing else mattered. You know, here today in this world, often, if we'd be honest, things distract us from God's business. But in heaven, there is no business more important than God's business. All of God's business is a top priority. And John heard this great voice of a great multitude, that Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Omnipotent means He is all-powerful. Not just some power, He is all-powerful. And He reigns. That means He is controlled. He's ruling. You know, for 6,000 years of human history, there have been times when people wondered, I'm sure, even in recent days, if, if right will ever prevail, if sin and evil will ever be stopped. But I'm telling you, it will, God will prevail. He is all-powerful. And his actions during this tribulation period, this time in the future, will remove any doubts as to who's in control. He'll defeat Satan. He'll defeat the Antichrist. He'll defeat the one world false church. He'll he'll defeat the false prophet. The kingdoms of darkness and the enemies of truth will all fail. In every Christ rejecter, every single one, Will answer to Him. We're going to cover this in a few weeks. But the every person who has ever lived on this planet who rejected the truth will be summoned to the great white throne. Because God, you say, how does God do that? How will God gather up the remains of people that perished? hundreds and hundreds of years ago because he's God. He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. And he reigns. He does reign. I love the language of verse 5 where it says, And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, and ye his servants, all, excuse me, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. I love the categorization there, all you that fear Him, His servants. You know who's gonna give Him praise? Those who fear Him. Those are His servants. These, These worshipers recognize God's authority. You know, Jesus said to a group of people once during His time on earth, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Why do you call me Lord and don't obey? A Christian ought to be obedient. One sign, one sure indication a person is saved is they want to serve the Lord. They want to love the Lord. And all these people here, they fear God. They have have an awesome respect and awe of God. And they serve the Lord. They're there to serve the Lord. That ought to describe every one of God's children. You know, a lot of people, and I hope this doesn't describe you, but a lot of people go to church And I'm not saying most people, I'm just saying there are all lots of them though. People who go to church, be found in church today. And they read their Bible. They have a Bible in church. They look at their Bible in church. And they may even sing some publicly. But they don't read their Bible at home. They don't fear God at home. They have no desire to serve God. They're not in this group right here. These are people who fear God. These are people who love the Lord. These are people who serve the Lord. You know, let me help you with something. If you want to know how much you fear God and serve God, look at how you think and how you live away from church in your private life. Do you open up this book every day and read it and want to know more about God? Do you talk to God like He's your Father? Do you look for opportunities to serve Him? That's what Christians do. Listen, He's Lord. He reigns. That's what they're praising Him for in verse 6. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth. They're worshiping God because He reigns. He rules. You know, if God doesn't reign in your life, I mean, is God ruling in your life, in your attitudes, in your responses to truth? in the way you are on the job, if God does not reign in your life, then why would you rejoice someday because He's reigning in other people's lives? He ought to reign in your life today. He's Lord. He's King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus taught us to pray this. We pray this often, not as a ritual, but He taught us to pray this. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on this earth as it is in heaven. And you know one of the reasons we're going to rejoice in heaven? Because God's will is being done. And He is King and He's Lord and He's reigning. And I have serious concerns for anybody who says they're saved, but does not want Jesus to reign in their life. It would be hypocrisy to stand in this day and sing our Lord God omnipotent reigneth when you've not let him reign in your life. We don't as I said earlier, I know with I know in my heart based on what we just read that all of us who are in heaven one day by the grace of God, we're going to be in those voices praising him because the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. But you know what? You don't have to wait to get to heaven to praise Him that He reigns. We ought to praise Him today that He reigns. So why are they worshiping? I said, first of all, they're worshiping because His judgments are true and righteous. They're worshiping Him because He reigns. He reigns supreme. And the last thing that I want to mention today in verse 7 is they're worshiping because his wife has made herself ready. Look in verse seven, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the lamb is come. Who is the lamb? Jesus is the lamb. And the marriage of the lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. They're rejoicing, and by the way, he's about to return. We're not going to get that far into it on purpose today. We'll save that for another time. But he is just about to get on that white horse and leave heaven and come down to earth and take care of business. That'll be exciting to read about. (laughs) That'll be exciting. But here we find this marriage. Give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. This was quite an occasion. John was watching this. John was able to see glimpses of it, and he was able to witness it and write about it. And Jesus is about to be married to his bride. And he said in verse 7, let us be glad and rejoice. You know, I think we we ought to think about this for a moment. We just studied last Sunday night about this uh, harlot, this worldwide false religion and the judgment of what the Bible called the great whore, and that, that unfaithful wife, that fornicating wife. There's a contrast here because Jesus is about to be married to his pure bride. They're going to be, they're going to be united. It's a, the Lord's bride is a pure wife. By that I mean she is devoted to him. She is faithful to him. You know, as someone that I certainly believe and pray and hope that I'll be in that group. This marriage—I want to be faithful to my Lord. I, I think there are things about this that I don't understand. I think there are things about this that none of us fully understand. And I think this really kind of took John the Beloved, took him when he saw what he saw at this marriage. But notice how he describes the bride in verse eight. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. This this bride is righteous before Him. Clothed in fine linen. What is that fine linen? We don't have to wonder what it is. It's the righteousness of the saints. And by the way, there's only one thing that makes any of us righteous before God and that's the blood of Jesus Christ that washes us and cleanses us as though we never have once sinned. Isn't that a wonderful thing? And these, they're righteous before Him. Those, it, by the way, it, just a reminder, those of us who are redeemed, we, we want to live holy lives. Living a holy life is not putting judgmental expectations on ourselves. It's, it's not being legalistic. It's wanting to be pleasing to God because we will one day be a part of that bride that will be married to the Lord. This relationship that the church has to Jesus is often hidden. Matter of fact, it was not revealed at all in the Old Testament. And Paul called it a, a mystery. And it is. Let me read some familiar words to you from Ephesians that talks about this. Husbands, love your wives... Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, he's talking about husbands loving your wife like Christ loved the church, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. And he's referring clearly to this event in the future. This mystery had been seen in New Testament times. As a matter of fact, two or three, five verses later, this is what Paul wrote about what I just read to you. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. John John witnessed this. I want you to look with me again in wrapping this up in Revelation chapter 19. When John read about this Marriage of the Lamb in verses 7, in verses 8, in verse 9, in verse 10 he says, And I fell at his feet to worship him, and said unto him, See thou, do it not. Something, I mean, he's witnessed a lot of things, but what John saw there, he was inclined just to fall at the feet of this heavenly messenger and to worship him. I'll tell you, This is going to be a blessed time. And John John says they're praising Him. Now try to imagine today, because we're fast-forwarding into a period that's taking place here at the end of the Great Tribulation. And And we're going to be in this crowd. Many of us are going to be in this crowd that's singing praise to Him, worshiping Him. And what are we going to be praising him for? For one thing, we're going to be praising him. Just put this in your catalog, catalog this somewhere in your mind because one day you might remember this. We're going to be praising him for his true and righteous judgments. Right? We're We're going to be praising him for the fact that he is omnipotent and he reigns. He is supreme in his authority. And we're going to be praising him because finally the bride, his wife, hath made herself ready to be united, to be with the Lord. To be united with the Lord in a way that we can't even really imagine. John says in verse 9 there, the angel said to him, write, write this down. Blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. What a blessing. This is about the praise of God. I want to go back to that last verse we read here in verse uh, 10. I hope you're looking at that. Because having seen all that he had seen and heard all that he had heard, John fell at the feet of this messenger, God's messenger, to worship him. Verse 10 says clearly, look at that. I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. No, stop it. Stop worshiping me. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Two simple powerful words. Worship God. God alone is deserving of our worship. Only God. No one. And nothing, nothing deserves more devotion, more love, more allegiance, more loyalty, more adoration. Nothing deserves the attention that Jesus deserves. And you know what? If you could write there in the margin of your Bible, it's it's all about Jesus because God alone deserves our worship. We've all or not all of us, but many of us, have had conversations about this and been, guilt, been in places where this takes place. There's such a, almost a worship of men, you know, in churches sometimes, like they're infallible, but I'm telling you, only one deserves worship, and that's Jesus Christ. Not some athlete, not some celebrity. Now I don't care how good they are, how great they are, there's only one that deserves worship. And that's Jesus Christ. He ought to be praised. He ought to be adored. He ought to be loved. So, as we come to the end of this today, I just want to make a couple of applications. Number one, if you're sitting here today, you're listening, and in your heart, you're seriously questioning do I really know him? This is not make believe, this is real. This is real. People who are saved are really going to be in a real place called heaven. Where sin, it's not just that sin is not tolerated. Sin is not desired. if If you can't imagine a life without selfishness and sin, you ought to be really thinking about the life you're living today. Do you really know the Lord? And if you're not saved today, He loves you. He wants to save you. He wants, he wants you to fall in love with Him. Not the world, not the things of the world. And You can't be saved by being religious or going to church or reading your Bible or being baptized. You have to personally receive Christ as your Savior. You could do that right where you sit. In a moment, I'm going to be standing there at the front. You, could, you say, man, that's what I want. That's what I need. I need a relationship with God. I need to know my sins are forgiven. Just slip out and come to me right here. Someone will talk with you and pray with you, answer your questions. This is real. Do you fear God? Do you serve God? I mean, these are people who who serve and fear the Lord that are in heaven. I'm not saying you go to heaven because you fear God. I'm just saying this. When you get saved, you want to fear God. You want to love God. You want to please God. You ought to come. If you're here today and you've periodically it crosses your mind. I wonder why God lets things like this happen. Why why does it seem like evil is winning out? Why does it seem like... Well, I'm just telling you, God is the righteous judge, and he judges righteously, and he's ruling supreme, whether you can see it or not. People focus a lot of attention on these um, various world powers that are pulling the strings of our society and all those kind of things... And I don't doubt for a moment that there's a lot of evil people working, but I'm telling you, I know who's really reigning supreme, and his name is Jesus Christ. He's in charge. You say, well, I just don't see it. You don't have to see it, except see it in the Bible. See it by faith. You ought to thank him for that today. And if you're not living for him, if you're not seriously living for the Lord, may, may God's word challenge us all. This thing could come to an end right while we're sitting here today. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Are you ready? Have you lived the life? Are you living the life that you know that God wants you to live? And if not, that's not putting pressure on people. That's not being harsh or dogmatic. That's trying to encourage people. We're to provoke one another to love and good works. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Every head bowed and every eye closed. and just a moment, the piano will sing with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to pray in a moment. But I'm going to ask you today while heads are bowed and folks are praying. If this were the last service, if you knew this was the last service you would ever sit in, What would you want to do in this service as far as your relationship to God? And if there are things you think you should do if this was the last service, you ought to do that today because it very well could be the last service. Our fathers, we pray. Today, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for what you showed, John. Thank you for preserving it, recording and preserving it for us that we don't have to be left to our imagination about everything in the future. There are a lot of things we don't understand, as you know. But what we do understand challenges us. Lord, we want to live our life fearing You and serving You. We want to be in that crowd one day that praises You and worships You. We want to be blessed with that invitation to come to the marriage of supper of the Lamb. Lord, today, thank you for the grace of God available to all who will come to you and trust you and obey you. We thank you for that, that you promise us great grace as we humble ourselves before you. While our heads are bowed,